It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them all? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. Dallas estate planning and Dallas elder law attorney, Michael Cohen, and I, the co-host Don Crawford Jr., very grateful owner of KWM Radio, welcome you to another estate planning essentials program, doing nothing but ambitioning to protect your family, your assets, and you. And I say good day to you, Michael Cohen. Good day, Don. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing even better because of the fact that before our program today, we discussed, as usual, uh, what we need to address and how you should educate the audience when it comes to estate planning and government assistance. And uh, you brought up, I think, something you said was somewhat fundamental but critical when it comes to estate planning, and that is certain documents people may need or not need when it comes to end-of-life decisions, and you want to address those today. Yeah, I thought I would address five different types of documents, either regarding medical or end-of-life decisions that uh, some documents people are familiar with and other documents they may not be familiar with. And so, uh, and sometimes people get confused about when you use which type of document. So I thought, you know, even though um, some things people, people understand, uh, other things they probably don't. So I thought I would go over each of uh, five different types of documents that could be used uh, usually in those situations, either end of life or medical decisions. Excellent. Uh, yeah, there are there are three what they call advanced directives. An advanced directive. Uh, now, there most people are familiar with the living will. I don't know how many years ago they had the right to die cases. Uh, it's been at least thirty years, I would think. Lots happened since then. Um, and so there's been progression in times, um, but there was the right to die uh, instead of just being kept alive and alive in a persistent vegetative state with no quality of life. Uh, so, of course, people have the right to make their choices. And one of the documents that you could make a choice on is the living will, probably the oldest of the documents, uh, because that was came from those, those cases. And uh, that's now a living will, or as we call it in Texas, a directive to physicians, directive mm. to physicians. Um, it's, you know, it's usually, you know, for somebody at the end of life. Uh, if you're in a hospital and uh, there's the question is, do you want to die as gently as possible? Uh, do you want to have life-sustaining treatment and, you know, artificial nutrition, hydration, that's food and water, and what's an irreversible condition? It's a condition that could be treated uh, but never cured or eliminated and uh, leaves, you know, of course, if you could make your own decisions, you'd make them for yourself. But these things come into play when you don't have that ability. Uh, 
so, you know, and, and on, so there's two different parts to living will. One is if you're going to die, uh, if you have, let's say you have a terminal illness, which means that the doctor says, hey, even with prevailing uh, medical treatments, uh, you have this incurable condition that uh, you're going to die within six months, even with life-sustaining treatment. Uh, so now a lot of things are not just, you know, when people don't die within six months. So a lot of times you'll also have, uh, let's say you're in a persistent vegetative state, you know, the end stages of, of Alzheimer's or some sort of uh, illnesses like cancer or failure of ma- major organs like kidney or heart or liver or lung. A lot of times um, those things may, may linger for a long time. It, they just don't you know, don't uh, just keep you alive. It's uh, it, it's only until the time when, you know, when your condition is such that you're uh, at the end stages uh, when it's considered an irreversible condition. So there's two parts of the living will. One is when you have a terminal condition, when you're dying within six months, even with life-sustaining treatment, do you want to be kept uh, alive or just you know, just to die as gently as possible. So usually you have two choices. Yeah, I do want to kept, be kept alive, or B, uh, I want to die as gently as possible. If the doctor says I'm going to die anyway after talking to whoever you choose as your agent, uh, and most people um, believe in a quality rather than a quantity of life. So uh, there are some, you know, you have the right to, to stay alive even um, uh, if, you know, your condition is terminal. Uh, but if you, in fact, you could even, even if you're, uh, you know, a lunatic uh, and you're crazy, you could override your document and say, no, I want to be kept alive. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, but, but the living will is the most common of the documents. So, uh, so there'll be two parts again. One is if your condition is terminal, dying within six months, even with medical assistance. And the other uh, is if you have an irreversible condition, so it may be more than six months, but you may have uh, this uh, type of thing where you decide, well, it's end of life type things. And what we usually do is we give a whole bunch of different choices as to what happens if you're in that persistent vegetative state. Do you want to withhold uh, life-supporting electrical devices, heart and lung stimulation devices? Uh, should there be surg- surgical procedures? Uh, you have all life-sustaining uh, medications. Of course, you always have uh, pain-killing medications. Uh, artificial nutrition, that's you know, food, electro- electric shock, uh, card- CPR, cardiopulmonary uh, resuscitation, uh, transplants, uh, bodily parts or fluids, transfusions, uh, mechanical breathing. Uh, you know, do you have tests to determine if the condition is terminal, like chemotherapy, radiation, dialysis, antibiotics, any psychotic medication, psychosurgery, etc. So there's lots of different things that we usually give choices uh, as to which things you want to keep and which things you don't want to keep uh, and or do you want them just to be able to withhold things. And, uh, you know, there's different types of living wills. Uh, that's the type of thing that we usually use in Texas. But, you know, there's different types of um, religions that have different uh, you know, different things have different types of living wills. Uh, so, for example, uh, Jehovah's Witness have spinning of the blood. There's uh, uh, 
Jewish living wills and Catholic living wills, so that you have different things in according to the religion. So, for example, uh, you know, for Catholic living will, you want to have something that uh, spiritual care like sacraments of reconciliation and uh, anointing of the sick and the Eucharist uh, be provided so that you can be prepared for redemption. Uh, in Jewish living will is you try to be buried as quickly as possible. Uh, there are certain types of different things that you do. I, I'll never forget on, <laughs> uh, I had a guy came in my office with a priest, and this is a real story. <clears throat> and uh, he said, uh, I told him that there's different types of living wills. I said, you know, there's, um, you know, like I just said, there's, uh, there's those who have there's Jewish living wills, there's Catholic living wills. He said, Catholic living wills? Uh, he said, uh, can you, I'm really interested in that. I'm here with my priest. Uh, can you read that to me? Uh, so it can run one out and read it to me. I said, sure. So I said, okay, we have the, you know, we want to be, you know, we believe in the sanctity of life, and I don't want to do anything that indirectly or unintentionally shortens my life, and I want to be provided uh, food and water uh, as long as it's a benefit, and uh, there's be spiritual care, including the sacraments of reconciliation and anointing of the sick and Eucharist. I said, but, and I kind of looked at it, kind of squinted at the paper, and I said, but most importantly, I would like to inflict upon my heirs as much guilt as humanly possible. <laughs> right. And I said it also works in the Jewish way as well. well yeah. Right, so, exactly. <laughs> that guilt thing. Okay. Yeah, right, right, right. So, so there's all sorts of different types of living wills, uh, and... Um, so I just lumped that all into one category. The living will is the most common uh, document that most people think of when they think of an advanced directive uh, or the end of life. Mm-hmm. But there's another thing that another document that people get confused by. There's another thing called an out of hospital do not resuscitate order. Now this is uh, like if you're at home. So the living will works in the hospital, but if you're at home, you have to have an out-of-hospital DNR. Hmm. So if your heart starts beat, stops beating, when the paramedics come to the house, you have this document, if they could find it, usually put it like on the refrigerator or something like that, that says, hey, if I'm dead, don't resuscitate me. Oh. I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story. I had a, uh, a client, and this is a, another true story. The other, that story about with the priest is a true story. Um, the um, Unfortunately, this is the, the facts. The um, husband was 59 years old, lived in Garland. Uh, he um, uh, was overweight, and it was a hot summer day in August. It was probably a, you know over 100 degrees here, and um, uh, he had an insurance agency. Although he let his disability insurance lapse a couple weeks earlier, uh, of course he had to be licensed to sell insurance, and he was married. Uh, his wife did not work. He was the breadwinner. Uh, anyway, the yard man did not show up, so he decided to mow the lawn. Uh, and after he mowed the lawn, he came back into the house, and his wife said, you don't look very good. Now, my wife says that to me all the time. That's a different <laughs> story. Sure. Anyway, uh, so uh, uh, he, he said, well, I'm okay. Just leave me alone. I want to watch the Ranger game. That's a that's probably a serious problem right there. Yes. But any of it, <laughs> unfortunately, he said, go to sleep, um, 
and I'm just going to watch the game. And the next morning, she sees that he's laying on the floor, and she can't move him. She can't do anything, even though she gets instructions from 911. The paramedics come to the house, um, and they ask if he, she had or he had an out-of-hospital DNR. The answer is no. So they resuscitated him, and he became in a persistent vegetative state. And now she had to not only get a license, of course, to, had to take care of her husband, but also she had to get a license because there was no money coming in, uh, and that took a while. They're losing clients. So she had to take care of her husband and try to do uh, take care of the business, which was a, a very difficult thing. And what she said to me is, quite frankly, this is no quality of life. I wish he would have passed. Mm. Uh, so that's an out-of-hospital DNR, and that's an actual story. Wow. All right, so um, so that's the seriousness of it. I mean, it's usually for people who are elderly or frail, and this is when your heart stops beating. Uh, so that's a different type of advanced directive. Now, the next one that uh, is uh, much more common uh, also, uh, in fact, every time you go into a hospital, uh, you're asked, uh, do you have a living will? That's That was the old, the first thing that came about. Or do you have a medical power of attorney? A medical power of attorney. Now, on a medical power of attorney, is who makes medical decisions for you if you can't make them for yourself? Uh, there's statutory language that you're supposed to use. There's lots of other things that you could do. Uh, it could be anything from... Uh, you know, making any type of medical decisions. Uh, a lot of times people want to have extra stuff, though. I mean, it could be besides hiring and hiring uh, healthcare personnel, it could be anything from cremation and, um, you know, funeral arrangements to end of life type things. Of course, there's another document, which I wasn't even planning on mentioning today, called a disposition of bodily remains, where you could tell, uh, say, what you want to have done after you die whether it's cremation or uh, what to be give my body or something like that or where I'm to be, uh, what type of services I might have as far as, uh, uh, you know, let's say whatever, whatever you want. I want, you know, some sort of burial service, let's say, at a church or whatever. Um, or who's in charge of the body. Sometimes there's disputes. Uh, you may remember years ago that, uh, Ted Williams wanted to have his at least his head frozen cryogenics. Mm -hmm. uh, so some, there was a dispute amongst family members of whether that should be honored or not. So that's disposition of bodily remains. But uh, getting back to the medical power of attorney, there's all sorts of different types of medical decisions uh, that could be made Just besides having uh, – it doesn't necessarily have to be the end of life. Mm -hmm. uh, so medical power attorney is, well, should I have surgery or should I just heal naturally or, uh, just give it time and I'm out of it. So all these documents are when you're out of it, when you don't have the mental capacity. So it's important, though, uh, to choose a somebody that, you know, that you would trust to make those medical decisions. You know, I would, now I'm about to talk about another document uh, that in connection with that because powers of attorney could be superseded by guardianship. And I remember there was a case of somebody who didn't have another document called a declaration of guardian in the, in the event of later incompetence or need. And she came to the office after 
Uh, she said dad had chosen her, her sister complained about it, and um, they went to court to see, there was sibling rivalry, they went to court They went to court to see who should be in charge of making medical decisions. And then, you know, it was just more of a power struggle, and uh, one of them told me that in defending that she should be named as the agent, uh, she had spent 126000 in legal fees. Uh, and so if she'd had a document that said, this is who I want, the pecking order, uh, uh, who I want as my guardian in the event I should need one at a later date, assuming there was met, uh, mental capacity and there wasn't undue influence or duress, then that the court is instructed to follow those directions. So there's all these different types of legal documents. So here I start talking about one, and then it reminds me that there's another one that's related to it. So, uh, and, and most people are not aware, they're aware of a medical power of attorney in the living will because even uh, if you go to a hospital, uh, it's required under the Older Americans Act of, I think it was 1988, uh, that, uh, that you're supposed to, the hospitals are supposed to ask you if you have a living will or medical power of attorney. They may not ask about these, any of these other documents, but they will ask about that. They're required to ask that. This is heavy stuff, Michael. Um, very sensitive topic um, when it comes to you know, life documents that you've addressed so far. Is it suicide? Is it not suicide? Do I do everything I can to avoid the pain? Do I live a quality of life or do I not do anything and not play God? Um, because a lot of these decisions are between God and you. But whichever the case, Michael has already shed light on this uh, for the first 20 minutes of this program. And he can, even more so, addressing your individual circumstances at his next workshop, which is Thursday, October the 21st at 1 p.m. And this is an online workshop that is conducted via Zoom, which Michael's been doing since the pandemic kicked in over a year and a half ago. And they've been very effective in the sense that uh, not only do you learn and, and glean from these workshops like you would in person, which they were prior to the pandemic, um, but you'd never have to leave your house. You can do it from the comforts of your own living room, um, dining room, kitchen. I don't know, wherever you want to watch the Zoom call, you can be visual, meaning you can see them, they can see you, or you can just be audio. just depends. But Michael's really become an expert at the workshops and now these online Zoom workshops. And Michael, tell everybody what goes on during these. Yeah, well, we ask people, what do you want to know mm -hmm. uh, about estate planning or elder law? We really haven't gone into the... Uh, elder law issues, uh, but estate planning. This, these are uh, documents that uh, may not seem like uh, very much to a lot of people, but they are important documents. Uh, but in any event, we talk about whatever you want to know. Most people don't ask about medical powers of attorney or living wills and things like that, but they do ask more about uh, different estate planning, like wills and trust and powers of attorney, and uh, maybe about Medicaid issues, about long-term care probate, uh, a lot of different things that people ask about. But we ask people, what is it they want to know? It could be about what's going on with Congress, what laws will pass. We don't know what questions that people ask, so every workshop is different. And we proceed over the couple hours of this free estate planning essentials workshop to answer the questions that are asked. And there'll be also a presentation as well. Uh, it's free. There's no obligation. Uh, if you're interested in attending the two-hour free estate planning essentials workshop. And even if you don't know how to do Zoom, uh, we send you a link. We have somebody that takes, teaches you how, what to do. You can 
look at the workshop on your iPhone or or, uh, or if you could do it on a laptop. It's very, very, very simple. Uh, and if you don't know how to do it or haven't done it before, we give you directions on how to do it. Uh, to attend that next free estate planning essentials workshop, which is going to be on Thursday, October 21st uh, at 1 o'clock, uh, all you have to do is either call our phone number at 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. Or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. And if you do go to that two-hour free estate planning essential workshop, uh, as KWM listeners know, we also give you the option to have a free one-hour, what we call vision meeting, to go over your situation even in more detail if there's questions that were not answered at the workshop. And even if they were, we give you a free hour if you would like to, to go over your own individual uh, questions about whether it be about state planning or Medicaid or veterans benefits, uh, the types of things that we deal with, or perhaps probate. Uh, any one of those type of things, uh, we'll go over that with you without any charge or obligation. And if you don't go forward, that's fine. We just want to let you know what your options are. Again, if you're interested in t- attending the free uh, two-hour estate planning essentials workshop, all you have to do is call 214-720-0102. Very good. And is that free vision meeting in person or online as well? We give people the option to do whatever is most comfortable for them. So we've had some people that, you know, they may be in San Antonio and they want to do it uh, by Zoom. Uh, other people that are here, some people are more comfortable coming into the office. Some people are more comfortable by just doing it by phone. Some people are more comfortable by Zoom. We just do whatever is best for you. Great. And so just give them the option. Good. Glad to hear you do that. Um, we've got about five minutes left, Michael. Did you want to address some elder law issues in the last five? Well, I could, uh, but mm-hmm. I haven't finished the uh, a couple of oh, the there's other more. things. Okay, so, go right ahead then. Yeah, there's more. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple other documents that I think I should mention. Uh, first of all, a HIPAA uh, authorization. Uh, HIPAA is the privacy laws, and if you don't give the authority, uh, then, you know, the hospital could keep private whatever happened on your medical records. And so, you know, we don't want people to hide behind privacy laws. So, and even if you put something like that in your medical power of attorney, you have to remember that medical powers of attorney um, uh, terminate on death. So we do what I call a universal HIPAA. That is, uh, it says, hey, even after I die, my family or whoever it is that you trust will have the ability to have access to my medical records. Uh, we could tell you about cases of negligence, of course, that were found out after death. So, um, you know, so most people we reckon, I had my daughters when they turned 18 um, signed the HIPAA as well as uh, some of these other documents. Uh, in addition to the universal HIPAA, there's another document that sometimes people do, and that is uh, we, and this is just a personal thing, uh, some people have a, a personal care plan. They say, this is what I want to have happen if I'm disabled. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, uh, so for example, we had somebody who happened to just pass this week, and on her, um, on her uh, personal care plan, she says, I want to stay at home as long as possible. 
but if I should need care, uh, I would like to go at one of my kids' homes, provided that if there's a problem with their spouse, uh, then I don't, I won't stay there because I don't want to be a burden. Uh, if I do have to go to a facility, I don't want it to be star-shaped because I'm fearful that the caregivers will be all congregating in the middle. And when I die, I want to be buried in my white satin dress with my boots on and on my tombstone say, hmm. wind beneath my wings. My goodness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and if you're an engineer, you really get detailed. <laughs> right, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> so you could have a personal care plan. Now, I, I got to tell you, and so it's, it, 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 you can see how detailed, and it goes into grooming and to, uh, religious services, or uh, how often to be, uh, you know, what foods you like, or, uh, you know, it could be how often you're taken out, or do you want to go shopping, what your favorite books, magazines, it could be anything, Who's what favorite TV shows, is there, you know, what, what your favorite drinks, is there wine, is it beer, is it just water, I mean, it could be, you could go into great detail if you wanted to, uh, most people don't, but others others do want specifics as to what their personal care should be at the end of life if they're out of it. So there's all these different types of documents. I think we probably mentioned about eight right here today, if not more. I didn't count them. I originally was going to talk about five. But i got to tell you, you reminded me of one final thing that I, you know, you said, you know, um, care and end of life and, you know, you never know what, uh, God takes, you know, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's there's lawyer's jokes, uh, as we all know, uh, but I am going to tell a doctor's joke. Oh, boy. Uh, because, uh-oh, yeah, you're right. So, because, uh, you know, I think I should be afforded that uh, opportunity and so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to have equal opportunity here. So this is the story, and this illustrates the point of about, you know, why you need these end-of-life decisions. Uh, and why you want to be the one making the decisions. Uh, all right, so this is the doctor uh, who dies and goes to heaven, and there, he's at the Saint, you see Saint Peter at the pearly gates, and he says, um, Saint Peter, let me in. And he goes, you know, he goes there with his doctor's bag and stethoscope, et cetera. And um, Saint Peter said, Well, doctor, there's a line of people here. You'll have to stand up and back of the line, just be like everybody else. So the doctor goes the back line. And then there's this other guy also with his stethoscope, his doctor's bag, and goes to St. Peter, and St. Peter lets him right in. The doctor comes from the back of the line and goes to St. Peter, and he says, why did you let that guy in and he didn't let me in? He said, oh, that's just God playing doctor again. <laughs> well, so if you don't want your doctor to be God then you make the decisions that you would like to make under your terms and conditions that's best for you. That's a great way to culminate this program. Uh, I appreciate that very much, and I like the sense of humor that we have to have when it comes to life and death decisions. So much of this can be so sensitive and heavy, so I appreciate you bringing some lightness to it. Dallas Elder Law Attorney Michael Cohen, I thank you, sir. Thank you, Don. The record shows I took the Leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. 
That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call them by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.